This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Robert Monteith was a highly decorated soldier in the British Army. His extensive career stretched from his enlistment in 1895, aged just 16, to his eventual discharge in 1911. He served in India on the Punjab frontier and fought in the Boer War, including at the relief of Ladysmith. On his discharge, he married and became a civil servant in his native Ireland. In 1913, Monteith's opinion began to turn against the British rule in Ireland when he witnessed the beating to death of a man by the police during the lockout. He joined the Irish Volunteers and was made captain of A Company 1st Battalion, where he was involved in the organisation of training across the whole force. In 1915, Tom Clark sent Monteith to Berlin, where Sir Roger Casement was attempting to set up an Irish brigade, recruited from Irishmen in German prisoner of war camps. The aim was to enlist the help of the German army in overthrowing British rule in Ireland. I reached Berlin that afternoon about three o'clock, and on reporting was informed that a dispatch had been received from the Irish Revolutionary Headquarters relative to the proposed rising in Ireland. The general idea was that a rising had been ordered for Easter Sunday, April 23, 1916. The German government was asked to help by sending a shipload of munitions, field guns, gun crews, and officers, machine guns, rifles, and so forth. It was requested that the boat would be accompanied by a submarine escort and that she should reach County Kerry on Easter Sunday night. It was also suggested that the German fleet should make a demonstration on the North Sea at the same time and that the submarine should be detailed to Dublin Bay. I was asked how many rifles were required and replied, all you can send. We will be able to get a man for every gun. On being pressed for a number, I said 100,000. They declared that they could not load half that number on the ship. Send a bigger boat, I urged. After a considerable argument, I said, very well, send 50,000. But bear in mind, the more you send us, the lighter will be your work over here. The Germans finally agreed to supplying 20,000 guns, but in the end refused to send any men. A German merchant ship was disguised as Norwegian steamboat, the Odd and set off with its cargo. Casement and Monteith, along with a single representative of the Irish Brigade, Daniel Beverley, were to follow in a submarine. They departed Berlin and made their way to the North Sea. On leaving, we went to the train station near Kafirstendam and entered the train for Willemshaven. On the train, we were each accommodated with a separate sleeping compartment. We arrived at Willemshaven the following morning and went immediately to the landing stage where a steam cutter awaited us. This boat took us on board the submarine U-20, which was lying about a half mile out. Whilst getting on board, the officers took photographs of us. They gave us a very cordial welcome. Breakfast had been held over for our arrival, and we sat down to eat at once. It was the last substantial meal we had till we reached Ireland. As we submerged, 
I noted the expression on the faces of Caseman and Beverly. They sat like wandering children and looked at each other without speaking. Then the stillness was broken by a rattling sound, the sharply uttered octung of the leading seamen. Down we went. We realized we were below surface, but enclosed in those walls of steel. Then, when the boat was on an even keel, deadly silence, no sound, a feeling of absolute helplessness as the increased pressure on one's eardrums affected one physically. Technical difficulties with their U-boat delayed the trip, forcing them to transfer to U-19. Before getting on board the U-19, I had a lesson in the harbor in the handling of a small motorboat. It was explained to me that this was necessary in case we might have to land without meeting the pilot boat. In the course of the lesson, the engine backfired, wrenching my wrist. In a few hours, it had swollen up and was very painful. Sir Roger was much concerned about it, and he feared I might not be able to handle a machine gun. For the remainder of our time on board, he did all he could for me, even cutting my bread at mealtimes. After a five-day trip, during which the three men were very seasick, the U-boat reached the south coast of Ireland. Here they were to be met by volunteers to unload the arms. We all strained our eyes for the pilot boat, which never came. This was the beginning of a great tragedy. The moment was tense with suppressed excitement. Each of us tried to look in all directions at once and hoped to be the first to sight the signal lights. In most forcible German, the officers voiced their opinions. I noted the cold, drawn, hopeless look on Caseman's face. An indescribable feeling of shame swept over me, a feeling I had never before experienced. Caseman had done his best, and splendid best it was. We all had done our share. But to think our boys had failed us, great God, it was maddening. There was no pilot boat and no meeting party. Unable to help them any further, the German submarine crew gave Monteith and his two accomplices word that they were to be put ashore in the dinghy. I got out our pistols, and whilst loading mine, said to Sir Roger, Do you understand the workings of these Mauser pistols? To my question, he answered, no, I have never loaded one. I've not killed anything in my life. Well, Sir Roger, I replied, you might have to start very soon. It is quite possible we may either kill or be killed. The feeling crept up on me, and I was being forced to ferry casement to certain death. The U-boat left the men to their fate. They climbed into the small dinghy, barely big enough for the three of them, and set about rowing to the shore. Neither Casement nor Beverly knew anything about pulling. I had not pulled an oar since 1896, so there we were, three men in a boat, the smallest invading party on record. Our position might be called funny, were it not for the fact that our lives depended on the outcome. I saw a wall of water at least six feet high above Caseman's head coming forward on top of us. Crash! It broke, and we struggled back to our places. Another wave smashed over us, 
upsetting the boat and swept us into the water. Beverly hauled me back into the boat. I felt like a drowned rat. It gave me much more satisfaction to feel the boat's nose stick into the soft sand on the shore of old Ireland. This was not the end of their troubles, however. They left their bags and arms with the dinghy. It was decided that Casement, who was seriously ill, would conceal himself in an old ring fort surrounded by hedges, while Beverly and Monteith continued on into Tralee to make contact with the volunteer leaders there. They parted ways, and this was the last time Monteith saw Casement. Casement's arrest came about in this way. Half an hour after our landing, the boat was discovered by a farmer who had the information conveyed to the Royal Irish Constabulary. The police immediately proceeded to search the countryside in the vicinity of our landing place and discovered him sitting in the old fort. Monteith and Beverly succeeded in making contact with the volunteer leader, Austin Stack, in Tralee, who made an attempt to reach Dublin with Beverly. Monteith remained in Tralee, and that night, news slowly trickled through that Stack had been arrested and Beverly was missing. Casement was captured, and a small rowing boat had been found with guns and clothes in it. The odd was intercepted by the British Navy, and its captain scuttled it to avoid capture. Robert Monteith's plans lay in ruins, and with the many hopes for a successful rising. He went on the run for the remainder of 1916, and finally managed to stow away on a ship to New York. He lived in America for the rest of his life, working in car factories. He died in 1956. Our feature article on Robert Monteith will be published at www.storiesfrom1916.com next Monday, the 23rd of November. Sections from Monteith's memoirs, Casement's Last Adventure, were read here by his grandson, Charles Cushing. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.